Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Juad here as always, hope everyone's doing well wherever you are in the world, um, thank you for tuning in as well this week, sorry I'm a bit late, um, work this week, or was working Monday to Friday this week, got the weekend off, there's no racing on either this weekend, so makes for a more chill kind of um, atmosphere and vibe to sit back and talk about the Italian Grand Prix from last weekend. I'm sure a lot of people have mixed feelings and a lot of emotion about it as well, a bit of a sense of deja vu given the ending with the safety car and everything, so I'll go over that all Um, today, some silly season updates as well, it's kind of stalled if you'd like to say with what happened a few weeks ago with Daniel Ricciardo's announcement and then Oscar Piastri being uh, announced as McLaren's driver for next year. So all the other available seats have kind of stalled in the meantime. So I'll go over that. And also the supercars in New Zealand as well last week, the Auckland Super Sprint Talking Points, the final uh, supercars event that they had at the Pukekohe Raceway too, so a lot of emotion around that, and we'll get to that a bit later. But first, Monza, not really the most entertaining or exciting race we've had this season, um, not the most exciting race of Monza we've had, in fact, as well. It kind of ended this year on a bit of a whimper behind the safety car. It didn't really stop um, Max Verstappen taking his fifth consecutive win this season and an 11th of the year as well in total he's just unstoppable at the moment as much you know as many grid penalties as you want to throw at him it's going to make no difference he did take a grid penalty actually this weekend and started down in seventh shot up to the top three on the first lap as well I think or he was in the top four and then by the second lap, he was already into third. So, you know, that Red Bull. And I don't think I've said much this season. You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I haven't given much praise to Red Bull in their car. It seems they've got, you know, a car that's quite similar to how it was performing back in their dominant days in the late, uh, in the early 2010s with Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber. Sure, you know, the teammate in Sergio Perez is not really uh, getting much out of it at the moment, but the fact that Max is just on such an incredible run and just how reliable and and how strong it is in a straight line too. I mean, straight line speed has never been a characteristic of a Red Bull before from the power units, so hats off to them for what they're doing at the moment with that car because it's just unstoppable in every sense of um of it so yeah good good on max there you had charles leclerc take pole position and this is without all the penalties buggering the grid either so he was on pole on pure pace he led george russell in the early stages of the race Russell starting from the front row because of grid penalties, of course. Carlos Sainz was meant to be up there, uh, as was Verstappen and Sergio Perez as well, but it put the Mercedes up there. Had a virtual safety car early in the race on lap 13 that was triggered um, by Sebastian Vettel, so not a great day for Aston Martin. Both cars actually didn't reach the end of the race, unfortunately. Bit of a miserable one for them, you can say. Um, but that virtual safety car quite early triggered Ferrari to bring Charles Leclerc in for the medium tyre. So basically, it was going to be a one-stop race without you know interruptions and whatnot. And you know you could go 
into like lap 20, 25 or 28, or between laps 25 and 28 on the soft tyre and then do the rest of the race on the mediums. I don't think the hard would have been worth using, but a few drivers did go onto the hard compound tyre. Leclerc starting on the soft, same as Verstappen, but having come in early. Now, with that too, I mean, they've reacted to the virtual safety car. Personally, I don't think it was worth it, given the fact that the virtual safety car finished just as Leclerc was coming out of the pit. So whatever advantage he thought he would have gained didn't really yield anything for him in the end. So again, Ferrari kind of you know, taking a risk with their strategy and it just not um, actually paying anything out to them. So that was a bit sad while you saw Max continue on. Um, and, you know, they credit to them for the way they looked after their tyres because they did quite a bit of overtaking early in the race and then also be able to go as far as lap 26 to pit from those soft tyres over to the mediums. And, you know, then he was about 10 seconds behind uh, Leclerc in the end. And it just was a bit of a seesaw in terms of strategy between those top uh, top three, top four drivers. Realistically, top, the top two were in contention for the win. Um, Leclerc back in on lap 34 for the soft tyres because... Having come in so early for the mediums, he wasn't going to get to the end of the race on that. And maybe Ferrari thought by being a bit aggressive and being on that soft tyre at the end might give them the pace. But it was it was pretty dismal. I think at one point, and even Ted Kravitz in the Sky um, coverage pointed out that, good news for Tifosi fans, he's closing in on Verstappen but at the rate of a tenth of a second per lap. So that's got to be really disheartening when you hear that back. Um, You know, and given how strong the Red Bull is, they could have had a hard tyre on, you know, a a worn hard tyre and still been quicker than Leclerc on on fresh softs. So it just, you know, it's so disheartening when you look at it that way. Um, You had on one side of the field, you had one stopper's, going long on the medium tyre and then switching over to the softs at the end. You know, this is prior to the safety car that we had at the end of the race. Uh, Medium tyre starters being the likes of Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, who actually did start towards the back of the grid with those grid penalties. Lando Norris as well, who had a pretty shocking start, but was able to solidify a position in the points for him. Um, and yeah, basically what I'm trying to say is the soft tire was the important tire to be on at the end. So, um, that was that between those front runners, Checo, like I said before, he did make his way up the field, uh, and got the fastest lap too. So Leclerc being on a fresh set of soft tires still couldn't get fastest lap while you had Perez get that feet down in sixth position. The race turned on its head, not really, at uh, the end there. Lap 47, Daniel Ricciardo comes to a halt between the Lesmo corners. And he was having a great race too. I mean, by the end of the first lap, he was third because uh, his teammate got a bad start. And, you know, Ricardo started fourth on the second row. He was up to third um, and was in the top 10 for quite a lot of the race. And that was encouraging to see given the fact that... Um, He's not really had any races, at, even at tracks which we've seen him do well at, at the par, in past, 
um, seasons, he's not really shown much competitiveness, but he was a bit more competitive this time round, uh, and sadly, you know, what could have been a points finish uh, got taken away from him because there was uh, some reliability problems there. So Ricardo's out, safety car out on lap 48. Remember, it's a 53-lap race. Yeah, George Russell come in, Sainz come in to switch over to softs for the end. But, you know, given how close we were to the end of the race, it was a very, it was looking very likely that um, we would finish the race under safety car. And this is where a lot of wounds got reopened. The deja vu, the criticism, and the... the just everyone comes out of the woodworm to offer their opinion on this Abu Dhabi 2021. So we know what happened there. Don't have to repeat all that and whatnot. Um, but what Monza showed us is that even though the FIA followed the rules, you know, the race control, they followed the rules and... Um, you know, they were going to restart the race. If there was laps available, they would have restarted the race by letting all the lapped cars unlap themselves, all the lapped cars, that is. And then after that is done is when the safety car comes in on the following lap, not on the same lap as we saw in Abu Dhabi. So even though they followed the rules, we still have a situation where people feel aggrieved and upset that oh you know they could have red flagged the race like they did in Baku and made it a lot more entertaining which to be fair yeah it would it would have been great to have a grandstand finish you know that was Michael Massey's principle when it came to restarting the Abu Dhabi race last year um, but you know what differs in all those examples Baku in particular there was a lot of debris that needed to be cleared off the front straight being so quick as it is the only way they could have done that safely was under a red flag but there is um there is potential there for being able to use that in the future like it would have to become a rule that's the thing is at the moment the rules don't say anything about oh getting to a certain percentage in the race and if a safety car comes out uh red flag it so we can have a restart or whatever we're just following what the rules say. That's what that's what everyone wanted after Abu Dhabi last year. Everyone's like, they didn't follow the rules. This is ridiculous. You know, F1 is fixed. Yada yada. Hashtag F1 fixed. Freaking hate that hashtag. I think I've blocked it in every other iteration of it I can find on Twitter because it always rears its dirty old head. Um, but basically, they follow the rules on this inst in this in instance. Um, red flagging it, again, red flagging it, unless it's needed, would seem artificial too, so there's basically no winners in this, and, you know, there's been races in the past where races and even championships, if you want to say, finished behind safety cars, so 2012 is an example where the Brazilian Grand Prix, the race finished behind the champion, uh, the race finished under safety car, um, and that was the end of the season too. So, you know, the championship was decided, or not decided, but it finished under that safety car. So I don't see that it's anything worth getting so riled up about. You know, of course it, it ended on a whimper and it was a damp squib. You know, if 
the gap was closed and we had like a one-lap shootout at the end. Could Charles Leclerc have won, potentially? Could George Russell or Carlos Sainz have won, potentially? Um, but in the end, Max had the faster car. He was doing the better job. Uh, I'm sure he would have held on anyway to win. But it's just hard not to get into this debate again, open up those old wounds and say, oh, you know, this should have been done previously and all that jazz, you know, still with the whole Massey thing, it's like his his thinking perhaps or his rationale behind how Abu Dhabi unfolded was to avoid a situation like we got in Monza. But then again, people are unhappy with what happened in Monza. They're unhappy with what happened in Abu Dhabi. People were just not going to be happy, full stop. I mean, society becomes so miserable that we can't actually celebrate anything anymore. I'm, I'm being really, I'm being sarcastic and got a lot of um, tongues firmly in cheek at the moment. The tongue is firmly in cheek at the moment. So, yeah, you know, I, I do that quite a bit. Um, I get a bit bit cheeky, <laughs> uh, be a bit of a smart ass. But look, you know, at the end of the day, no one is happy. I quite agree with, um, what I've heard other people like, you know, on the race as well, uh, saying that, yeah, you know, like if you want to set a precedent or something like this, just change the rule, change the rules or make a specific rule where you get to 75% or 80% race distance. And if a safety car comes out or an incident occurs, just red flag it regardless, or even do what they do in Formula E, for example, and it add an extra two laps on at the end or something but that opens up its own little uh debate about fuel and all that sort of stuff as well do you have to overfuel the car some people are going to underfuel to get an advantage and also how often does this happen as well it's it's not often where we have any a situation where you get a safety car right at the end of the race and they have to uh, finish behind it so you know, let's just close this chapter and move on. I think, you know, it wasn't going to change the outcome. I think, in, in my opinion, that is, Max has been an absolute demon, you know, this season, the last five races, even in in uh, Zandvoort. <laughs> you know, it escaped me almost for a second. Even in Zandvoort, with, with the safety car at the end um, and the restart, he was able to get past the Mercedes, he, you know, there was no chance for Mercedes there, was there a safety car in Zandvoort, I don't know, yes there was for Valtteri Bottas, sorry, I just had a blank there, it feels like such a long time ago when it was only two weeks, anyway, so, you know, that's just how good Max has been this season, chapter closed, let's move on, have a nice day, (laughs) And no, that's not the end of the podcast, so let's let's keep going. Um, so, yeah, making up your podium at the end of the day, Verstappen, Leclerc, Russell, great race from Russell, and even for Leclerc too. I mean, even though he was on pole, there was potential for him to win, you know, if they had made the right strategic calls and possibly with a safety car at the end. You know, they've just got to take solace in the fact that, you know, they're just not as quick as the Red Bull at the moment. So, second is okay, I guess. 
Um, great drives also from Sainz and Hamilton from the back of the field, finishing fourth and fifth. We had that epic pass from Hamilton on Pierre Gasly and Lando Norris as well, who came in behind Perez in sixth. Lando surviving that poor start, you got to say. Uh, and a poor pit stop too. I think he could have easily finished in the top six. Um, but then, you know, he did pit under the safety car and lost that position to Checo too. So he would have easily been sixth if they didn't do that. Um, Sergio himself surviving a bit of a brake fire as well. And then Hamilton also not pitting under the safety car. So those guys not doing that and ended up fifth and sixth ahead of uh, Norris and Gasly who had some solid races. And we haven't seen uh, Gasly have a race like this in quite a while too. So good on him to make the one-stop work and come home in eighth position. Uh, no points for Alpine on the day. Uh, Fernando Alonso having a DNF power unit related issue I think it was with the deployment or whatever and Esteban Ocon in 14th oh, sorry not 14th he was in 11th <laughs> I don't know where I got 14th from maybe that's where he started the race because he did have a grid penalty as well but they still have that 18 point gap over McLaren in the Constructors Championship it was kind of helped by the fact that Ricardo didn't finish either and was classified to score some points But at the end of the day, Danny can't be really faulted for um, his efforts this time out. So, you know, great drive, hope, and just, yeah, it was would have been nice if he was able to finish and score some points in that. Behind Gasly, we had an amazing debut for Nick DeVries, the Formula E champion from last season, subbing in for Alex Albon and thoughts at the moment with Alex Albon. Um, hopefully he is home and... Resting now after that appendix surgery. Apparently there was complications from the uh, anesthetic or whatever afterwards that had put him into ICU. So um, I hope he is back home and resting now. No, not sure if he'll be ready in time for the Singapore Grand Prix in a couple of weeks. But yeah, that's a bit scary. I'm sure people who've got anxiety about surgeries and hospitals and whatnot... Um, have that uh, fear of anesthetic, you know, going under and not waking back up and whatnot. And that's why they tell you not to eat anything before a surgery or to not have, uh, you know, be on clear fluids, depending on what kind of procedure it is. Not that I'm a medical expert. I have spent quite a bit of time in hospitals over the last two months. So I am qualified um, in that respect to, to uh, give my two cents on that. But that's why they say to fast before going under general anesthetic because yeah you can end up choking on um something while you're under and that's not good anyway um yeah hope Albon's okay and he's back in time for the Singapore Grand Prix but De Vries oh my god how long has it taken him to make his race debut in F1 you know he's a quick driver everyone who's known him from Formula E will know how great he is, and from his F2 days too, he was F2 champion, let's not forget back in 2020, I'm going to say it was, but he put on a sensational display, he was ninth um, on the grid, or sorry, 8th on the grid because of the grid penalties, he was eliminated, 
not eliminated, he was elevated up from where he did actually qualify, which was in Q2. He made it through to Q2 and then finished the race in ninth to score two points on debut, becoming the 65th, 65th driver to do that in F1 history. And really just making a case for himself to be on the Formula 1 grid next year, whether it's with Williams or elsewhere, which I'll get to a bit shortly when we're talking about the silly season and whatnot. But yeah, it was a great job from him. And Joe Guan Yu as well, back in the points, scoring a single point for Alfa Romeo. Um, good result for him. And, you know, what is kind of Alfa Romeo's home race, even though the Sauber team is Swiss, um, they had something to at least celebrate there with um, Valtteri Bottas having finished down in 13th. Otherwise, it's 116 points now between Verstappen and Leclerc in the championship. Um, Mathematically, Max has a chance of winning the championship in Singapore next time out. Is that going to happen? You never know. Stranger things have happened. I think he's got to rely on... Leclerc to finish no higher than eighth or and and Perez to no finish no higher than sixth or seventh or something like that and for Max to win the race as well um but yeah we'll just have to wait and see that one but also given the fact that we've still got a handful of races to go that's his 11th win of the season he could reach um Sebastian Vettel's record of 13 wins Um, in a season which is the most wins of any driver in a single season of F1, and that was set back in 2013. So given the fact, and putting it into perspective, given the fact that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have dominated the sport, you know, in recent times for since 2017, um, as great as Hamilton's dominance has been, he's never put together that many wins in in a single season. So... You know, for Max to get that and for that record to stay within Red Bull as well will be quite special for those guys. But yeah, you know, there's this... <laughs> Can't say any more really than has already been said by um, everybody about Max's performances this season and, and whatnot. So we'll leave it at that. Look forward to Singapore um, in a few weeks' time. It'll be nice to be back at the Singapore Grand Prix too because um, it's obviously not been on the calendar for a couple of seasons due to obvious pandemic-related reasons. And we'll move it on then. Talk about some silly season stuff, some junior champions as well. So both the F2 and F3 titles were wrapped up over the weekend. Felipe Drogovic winning the F2 title, Victor Martins winning in F3. Um, and pretty much after that, we got the announcement of Drogovic being signed on by Aston Martin as a development drive. So the Fernando Alonso succession plan has already been um, has already been you know initiated there at Aston Martin, even though Alonso hasn't even made the switch to the team yet. But you know just getting a young driver ready. Uh, I don't watch a whole lot of the junior categories, you know, which is why I don't talk about them too much. I'm not going to go into depth about you know, what's happening in the races and all that. It's just, you know, time is limited. Um, I have access to them, but I'm busy doing other stuff. You know, I'll catch up on the news and everything, but I'm not going to try and sound like I know everything about it. But good on these guys for winning. Drogovic is exciting because, you know, we haven't had a Brazilian driver in F1 for a while. I think it was um, Felipe Massa, obviously, back in 2018, the last time we had... Or 2017, yeah, when um, Bottas went over to um, Mercedes and Massa got called out of retirement to race 
for Williams again. That was the last time we had a Brazilian driver on the grid. So yeah, the importance of a Brazilian driver is quite important. Same same thing with German. You know, we've always had a German driver on the grid for quite some time, and next year there's a potential of not a German driver being on the grid. That would be quite scary if Mick Schumacher does fall off the grid. And that initiates the silly season stuff that I'm going to talk about. So obviously a stall in the market now. Alpine still haven't filled that vacancy after Fernando Alonso and Esteban, not Esteban Ocon, Oscar Piastri basically said, yeah, nah, not good enough for us, bye. Um, so in recent weeks, there's been a lot of talk about Colton Herter from IndyCar coming in. Uh, to Alpha Tauri if uh, Pierre Gasly is to go off and join his good mate Esteban Ocon at Alpine. Yes, yes, good mate. No, not really. Um, but that seems to have uh, kind of not come to fruition at all. I think overnight there was some news about that saying that yeah, Red Bull have pretty much given up trying to uh, get Herter in and also like... It, it's a shame, given the fact that, you know, IndyCar is such a top category in, in open-wheel racing in the world, that, you know, being a race winner and a seven-time race winner in a Herter's instance doesn't qualify you enough for super license points to go in F1, yet we've had, you know, all sorts of drivers <laughs> driving in F1, you know, who are, you know, half as good or a quarter of quarter as good as uh, someone like Herter who's still a bit of a hooligan but that's besides the point you know when you guys when you got the likes of Mazepin and Latifi and stuff being able to race um, even Sergei Sorotkin back in the day uh, they had to make concessions for him to get a super license which was ridiculous uh, that they couldn't, they can't get someone like Herter in is is absolutely outrageous. So hopefully they look into that into the future, um, particularly with IndyCar and how prestigious it is. They should make it a bit easier for drivers from there to come across over to F1 because it seems to be one-way traffic at the moment with drivers going from F1 over to um, IndyCar. And while we're on the topic of IndyCar, congratulations, of course, to Will Power on title number two, uh, taking that win championship win over there at um, Laguna Seca over the weekend as well. Alex Pillow winning the race and confirming that he will be staying at Chip Ganassi Racing next year and so he's no longer going to be going to McLaren and I'm sure a sigh of relief for um, Felix Rosenquist as well who could have been ending up back at uh, McLaren's Formula E project but um, he'll be in the IndyCar team with uh, Pato Ward and Alexander Rossi who comes across from the Andretti camp, and got to say to Scott McLaughlin, well done, you know, to finish, I think, fourth in the championship this year, um, had three wins as well, he's going to be in it next year, contender for sure, Penske have had a good year, Joseph, Joseph Newgarden did finish second in the championship, so would love to see Scotty up there again next year and possibly even bring it home. But for willpower, it, it's delightful as an Aussie to say, yeah, the the boy from Toowoomba getting a um, another IndyCar win. Going back to the silly season though, so with Herter seemingly out of the hunt, um, what else are the options? Uh, Alpine still going to go after um, Gasly? Do they think about Mick? Doohan, not Mick Doohan, Jack Doohan, <laughs> son of Mick Doohan, of course, the MotoGP legend. Um, do they think about him personally? I think it, 
it's still a bit too early for Jack. I think he needs another year in F2 and possibly um, win the title if he can before he's considered. Um, who else do Alpine consider if if they don't get Gasly? But if they do get Gasly, who do AlphaTauri consider? Because there's not really much stock in the Red Bull camp at the moment in the junior tiers in terms of um, you know drivers who would be worthy of replacing Gasly. Like you know you've got Liam Lawson, you've got some others, the Ruvler I think as well. But they're not really people who they're not really drivers that get get me excited. I don't know, you know, that, again, that's the thing, you know, I don't watch enough of the junior series to be able to see the intricacies of what they do and everything. Uh, did There was a thing, uh, did read something about uh, Nick DeVries potentially having met with Helmut Marco as well recently, you know, are they going to get him on the books, which would be a big signing, which would be a big coup for Red Bull if they did, and not that, you know... Uh, not that De Vries is like in the same age bracket as a lot of the other Red Bull juniors at the moment. A bit of a shock actually to me that De Vries is actually a year younger than me given he looks like a baby. And that's not only, I didn't say that, it was my partner who was like, oh my god, he looks like such a baby. I'm like, yeah, he's 27. He's a year younger than me, that's ridiculous. But yeah, you know, for, for De Vries, if he can land that, that's great. He's in the Red Bull system. Um, he's already proved with his debut for Williams that he is definitely ready for F1. He's got a lot of maturity and, and experience elsewhere. Um, and does that potentially put him in frame for a Red Bull drive in the future too? If if um, Perez ends up leaving or retiring, you know, that would be such a great way into F1 for a driver who... At one point, it didn't look like he was going to get in, given the fact that he was on McLaren's books for so long. Ended up disassociating with them, went over to Formula E, ended up in Mercedes's camp, you know, being their reserve driver and test driver in F1, but also driving for them in FE. And the next year, he'd be combining a Maserati uh, FE program with a Toyota WEC program as well, but he'd have to give that up if he's on the F1 grid. So, you know, I'm sure... DeVries' signature will be wanted by not only Williams, but potentially AlphaTauri in this instance too, so that would be great to see. Could we also see Nika Hulkenberg potentially make a, another comeback, another comeback for Hulkenberg? <laughs> um, initially, there was yeah talks that he could be going over to Haas. I think that's the only team he's been linked with so far. But yeah, possibly go over to Haas and... Um, replace Mick Schumacher. So at least there will be a German driver on the grid if that happens. The other candidate was Giovinazzi, but <laughs> I don't know if um, Formula 1 is ready for another stint from Giovinazzi because, yeah, he didn't really impress in his last one. So I'd rather much take Hulkenberg over Giovinazzi. But even for Williams going back to them, someone like... Logan Sargent, who's their reserve and junior driver, you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be a snub if they didn't pick him, for example, or is he too is he not ready yet? Where does Daniel Ricciardo fit into this as well? Is he going to have to stare down the barrel of a year out of F1 if it means he gets a reserve driver gig at at Mercedes or whatever, and potentially hope that 
Lewis Hamilton retires the year after or next year so he can be in the seat the year after who knows there's there's a lot still to play out so it's it's quite interesting but yeah there there's quite a bit of a stall at the moment um after all the excitement that we had in earlier weeks so we'll see if anything happens in the next few weeks ahead of the Singapore race and then once the flyways start again so yeah so for supercars in the Auckland Super Sprint, it was the last event at Pukekohe Raceway. Very emotional weekend, and you know who other than Shane Van Gisbergen winning um, the Jason Richards Trophy as well. Of course, the Jason Richards Trophy being the awarded to the winner who has the most points at the end of the weekend. Um, just across the round, that is, uh, picking up two race wins, of course, as well, and equaling the record set by Scott McLaughlin back in 2019 for most race wins in a single season, as well, congratulations to Gizzy, again, like Max Verstappen, there's no faulting um, Van Gisbergen this year, he's just been in a league of his own, you know, if you thought last year was a strong year for Van Gisbergen, this year has been just totally next level and you know with the added emotion as well of Pukekohe being farewelled and everything I think you know it was poetic that we saw uh, Shane win that we saw him come into Saturday lacking pace he wasn't fast in qualifying wasn't fast in the race he had to settle behind you know the leaders Will Davison driving another um, great race from pole position to win that one, sorry, not from pole position, from second. He shared the front row with Cameron Waters, but um, Van Gisbergen starting in seventh and finishing fifth. But then one from pole in race 28, and then from eighth he came up to win in race 29. Basically doing what Verstappen did at Monza is, is how you can compare the two this season. So Davison obviously romping to the win um, in race 27, but a race... 29 an unsafe release in the pits pretty much ruined his run he was in contention for the JR trophy but he got the drive-through penalty and a second pit stop he had to do as well so that pretty much put him out of the running and was down in like 22nd or something a lap off as well so that ruined his run you had Andre Heimgartner as well of course um driving in that famous number eight for Brad Jones racing um the number eight with the BOC livery back in the day uh being driven by Jason Richards himself and then of course Heimgartner to me looked like he was going to emulate what Jason Bright did back in 2013 to take out the inaugural Jason Richards trophies um there was couple of great pit stops from the Brad Jones Racing crew that bolstered um, Heimgartner into contention. He wasn't able to finish, you know, closely or wasn't in really in the hunt with Will Davison in the first race, but he did put himself into contention uh, in the third race of the weekend, only to come home in third, but getting a pair of podiums is still quite special for him. First time he's been on the podium, um, on home soil, and yeah, you know, getting some, like, 2.5 second stops, that's like Formula One level pit stops in, in supercars, where it's a lot slower, you've got to say, so great job from those guys, um, but yeah, you got to say, race 29, the highlight was that epic battle between Van Gisbergen and Waters towards the end, sadly, some unforced errors by Cam Waters, 
uh, cost him. And there was that moment where, you know, they were coming out of the final corner and if, you know, Van Gisbergen just didn't lift, lift at all, he could have put waters into the wall, you know, along the outside of the main straight. And that would have been pretty nasty for him, considering we already had some nasty incidents earlier on in the day as race 28 was marred by a red flag. Anton Di Pasquale, poor Anton, uh, gets a poor start and gets hit by Brody Kostecki and the car ricocheting and ending up in the middle of the track with quite a bit of damage, but he was able to race on in race 29 and finish fifth. But then, you know, the incident at turn 10 between Will Brown and Mark Winterbottom. Of course, Winterbottom signing a new deal, multi-year deal to stay there at uh, Team 18, which is good. We'll see him on the grid for a bit longer. The 2015 champion, there was a big incident between them there that put Brown into the wall at pit entry with a 56G impact. So that was a big one. Apparently the um, biff between those two started earlier on, um, but then, you know, Frosty apparently carried on and then just finished uh, Brown off at turn 10 and put him in the wall, which... He was punished with a drive-through penalty, but um, it might have been, you know, Frosty was saying it wasn't intentional, and given how Frosty's got a pretty decent record when it comes to that sort of thing, you know, you can't really say much more than that, but that wasn't what he got in terms of a reception from the Erebus team when he went into their garage post-race. He was trying to apologise to Brown, but, you know, they didn't really want him in the garage, and then you had uh, big bad Barry Ryan come in trying to pretend he's, you know, probably watching the South Sydney and Sydney Roosters game over the weekend and uh, trying to shirt front Winterbottom, which I'm sure he's been reported for as well, you know, getting a bit physical there, a team manager and a a driver or team manager getting physical with a driver. That's that's not a good look at all. And yeah, not not great in the end. Uh, but you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. And um, you know at least Winterbottom did try to apologise and make his point clear. He was punished for it anyway with the drive-through penalty. But Erebus just felt like you know that wasn't going to fly, and you know they wanted to carry on the way they did. It's, it looks bad on them rather than Frosty. So. We'll leave that be, and um, unfortunately, there was fear that they might need to use that spare chassis that they had that was intended for the wildcard entry of Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway for Brown ahead for the Bathurst 1000 next up, but um, I think they're going to finally get that chassis com- um, fixed and let uh, the wildcard entry run, because that'll be exciting seeing Murphy and Stunaway um, tackle the mountain together. So, yeah. Well, then that pretty much... Uh, so <laughs> that pretty much sums up this episode, or rounds up this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, as always, feel free to follow me on Twitter, at Media. There's also a link tree to all the other social accounts that I'm on, um, from my live blogs on the Raw, to Instagram for some pretty pictures and whatnot. So yeah, feel free to do that. Until then, there's a nice break between now and the Singapore Grand Prix, and you won't hear me until post-Singapore Grand Prix for the uh, review, and I'm sure we'll be talking a bit about Bathurst as well, with Bathurst 1000 coming up as well. So, yeah, thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time.